Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, I will invite you to stand for just these two verses that we've been working through this week and now this, last week and now this week. We read in Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the apostle Peter writing to those Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor, he says this, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of, of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of, a, of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So ends the reading of God's word. May we be blessed as we study it together. You may be seated. Let me remind you that as we come now to chapter 3, the thrust of Peter will be focusing upon the certainty of the return of Jesus Christ. In verses 3 through 7 that we will be looking at next week, we find Peter will be exposing the skepticism of false teachers concerning Christ's return. Then in verses 8 through 13, we'll find Peter stating the certainty of Christ's return, that he is coming and we ought to be ready. And then in verses 14 through 18, Peter will give his readers exhortations, ultimately telling us how we ought to live in light of this truth. Jesus is coming again. Are you ready? But before he tackles this topic of Christ's return, Peter sets the stage in verses 1 and 2 by which he informs his readers as to why he wrote both this present letter, 2 Peter, as well as his previous letter, 1 Peter. We see this stated purpose in those two, uh, uh, in, the, in the opening words there of verse 1. It's stated in the purpose there that he was stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Peter's verb choice here of stirring up is interesting. It, it means to fully awaken. It means to arouse. It is being brought out of some kind of sleep or slumber. It can mean to stir somebody up. We might even uh, think of provoking in one sense, if you could think of that in a good way. Peter writes it in the present tense, indicating that Peter's goal in writing was to have his writings, his first letter and his second letters, constantly uh, be, that we are constantly reminded, constantly using them to awaken the minds, uh, to awaken our minds, that we would be doing what we do today, to take these words and recall what Peter has taught and then to have our minds stirred once again. These are truths that, according to 2 Peter 1.12, are already known to them. Uh, I'm not telling you, Peter says, anything you don't already know. I've taken the time to walk you through these things, and yet I need to have you recall them to your mind nonetheless because it's possible that as you get busy in your lives, you may forget. And so he wants them to remember it would seem that Peter's intent as he begins this final segment of 2 Peter was to have his readers pause and reflect upon what he has written. He stops in the middle of his, or at, at the end of this treatise on false teachers, and just before he speaks about the certainty of Christ's return, and he says, remember the things that I've written to you. 
Since 1 Peter is not a rebuke on false teachers, but rather it is an exhortation on living rightly, living godly before God, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of persecution, regardless of sufferings, uh, the, the desire now that Peter has is to reawaken them uh, to all of these truths. Peter wants them to remember what he had written concerning living holy and blameless lives in the, his first letter. And now he wants them to remember what he has just written with this additional teaching of how to identify false teachers. How do you know what they look like so that you may avoid them? When we look at verse 3, we'll find Peter then call his readers to focus on the very particular heresy of his day. And that heresy or false teaching was that there is a denying that Christ is returning at all. But before this are these reminders to remember the truths proclaimed to them, the truths that he has conveyed, and truths that we're going to find, find their root, find their source, not in the opinions of men, but as he will say, according to the holy prophets of the Old Testament, as well as presently through our Lord Jesus Christ, by means of his apostles, of whom Peter is one. By way of application, as before we even begin, let me remind you that the way to white, rightly awaken one another's souls is not with current events. <clears throat> the way to rightly awaken our souls is not through the speaking of politics. It's not through the use of human logic or even our own persuasive arguments. It is not our mere presence to console one another or to comfort one another or to even correct one another. No, the proper way to awaken the soul is by the means of calling one another to remember the word of God. It is God's word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the word of God that is piercing as far and as deep as the division of our soul and spirit, able, as Hebrews 4.12 tells us, to judge the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. As Peter sets the stage for his comment on the return of Christ, he appeals to what he calls there in verse 1, their sincere mind. And I'd like to focus on that for a moment. The word mind literally translates this way, a thinking through, and speaks of a mind that is meditating, a mind that is thoroughly pondering a matter. Have you ever done that where you've just stopped and thought through something from A to Z, as it were? In context, Peter is commending these believers for having received and having reflected upon the truths that he has presented in his first and now his second letters. He further commends them for the use, using their minds with the, the adjective. He doesn't just say, thanks for using your minds. He says, your sincere minds. And the word sincere speaks of that which is unmixed or unpolluted. And it has the idea here that these believers were thinking largely free from wrong considerations, which is why he gave the warning about false teachers. He doesn't want them to have mixed or polluted understandings. The word sincere is used only in this text and by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.10. Paul writes to the Philippians saying, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere, there's our word, and blameless until the day of Christ. In both 
this verse, as well as our text, the context suggests moral and ethical purity. Their minds were morally right and ethically on track. Peter is calling their pure and unsullied minds knowing and committed to the truth to remain free from immorality and to remain free from heresy. Notice that Peter credits these believers with having such a mind saying, your sincere mind. And so I ask you this morning, how is your mind? Would it be described as sincere, unpolluted, unmixed, that it's not tainted by the things of the world, but focused upon the things of Christ? Peter knows and declares that the way to keep one's mind sincere is simple. Remember. Remember the truth of God's word. The best safeguard against heresy, beloved, is to recall to mind the truths spoken and communicated to us by means of the word of God. We have no other argument. We have nothing else to lean on but the word of God. But why does Peter want his readers to remember the truths that he has proclaimed As we will see, the most effective antidote to false teaching is to recall and dwell upon the true teachings of the gospel. The most effective antidote to false teaching is to recall and dwell upon the teachings of the gospel. Well, with that summary of verse 1 last week, I I took the liberty of stepping out of the immediate context of 2 Peter chapter 3 and setting the stage for this teaching on the certainty of Christ's return since this was one of the main false teachings Peter had in mind when speaking of false teachers, the denying of Christ's return. And now uh, we we considered last week several truths that Peter had already taught them in these two letters, noting particularly that in the first letter, the theme was suffering and glory, that believers are to understand that any suffering that is endured in this life is but momentary and light when compared to the glory that is revealed to them, will be revealed to them. And when will that glory be revealed? When Christ returns. And so the first two points presented to you last week was an exhortation to remember what Peter had written, which was a look at 1 Peter, and then to remember what Peter was currently saying. That was the look at 2 Peter. This morning we'll wrap up this stage-setting introduction of Peter with a look at verse 2 where we consider what he has in mind with these final two points when he says remember the words of the holy prophets and then remember the command of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when I say remember I would have you prayerfully seek the truth of God's word to awaken your soul that's Peter's desire and so let us look at the third point of these two verses where Peter says, remember the words of the holy prophets. In the beginning of chapter 3, verse 2, he writes that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. This is a restatement of Peter's purpose in writing. We are to remember something. Here he uses the verb remember, and it's actually an aorist in the Greek, which actually simply means this. It expresses the result that Peter desires by reminding them. I'm wanting you to remember something very specific. This is the call that his readers would allow 
these reminders to stir up their minds to remember. It's interesting. It's something that we're supposed to be engaged in. We're supposed to let it happen to us. It, it speaks of being spoken to the words of the holy prophets. It speaks to us of hearing the words of Christ proclaimed. A pet peeve of many parents, of teachers, or even pastors is the answer to the so often given uh, uh, so often given to this question what have i just been saying to you and the number one answer sometimes given by children and students is what i don't know i don't know or i don't remember it does not matter how gifted a, of a teacher or a, a preacher, if one does not set his mind on thinking about what is presented so that the teacher gives that prompt to recall the truth, the student will flounder. Such a person is left to his own ignorance then, and ignorance of the truth is what leads to succumbing to false teaching. So Peter wants his readers to remember. Remember what? We find the answer to that, look right here in verse 2. He wants you to remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. Now, that's actually a mouthful. Remember, people, he says, the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. That is a sweeping and comprehensive statement. A more verbose way of saying this could have been to say, remember the words of Moses. Remember the words of David. Remember the words of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Remember the words of Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, and the rest. Because those are God's holy prophets. These are the men that God has set apart. Those who were the men that were moved by the Holy Spirit to speak from God that Peter had already told his readers about back in chapter 1, verse 21. So ultimately, the idea Peter is conveying to us here is that you are to remember the Old Testament. How are you doing? Would you agree that's a lot to remember? That's a lot to remember. Remember the holy prophets, the words of the holy prophets. It is a lot to remember, and there is an implicit thought with all of this, the implication that believers are to be active and engaged in hearing, in reading, and studying what? The Old Testament. That is a lot to remember. And some of you may be wondering now if I'm going to give a review of all that the prophets have spoken. As much as I would like to, we do not have time to do that. But what I do believe is a fair issue for consideration is to look at what Peter has communicated from the holy prophets in these two letters that he has written to them. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to step out for just a moment and we're going to look at what Peter has conveyed to his readers concerning these prophets. Why? Because these would be the words that were fresh on their minds. This would be the words that they just heard from his previous letter. And now what he is calling them to remember where they would say, oh, yes, that's right. Peter, you quoted from that prophet when you said. 
Contextually, what Peter would undoubtedly have in mind with the words, remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets, would be at very least to speak of the passages that he had brought to their mind. So allow me to venture into those things to answer the question, what prophets did Peter have in view when he gave this exhortation to remember all the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets? While on one hand the answer would be, well, all of it, he and his readers would have first thought about those prophets that he had referred to. Now, when we think about this, interestingly, in our, in our second Peter text, we don't have a lot of references to the prophets in this letter. The only clear reference to the Old Testament prophets in second Peter is found at the end of chapter one, where Peter tells, uh, tells us how those men actually wrote. You might recall in verses 20 through 21, uh, he said, but know this first of all, this, that is not right, is it? Do we not have this in here? There it is. Okay, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So he's telling us how those Old Testament prophets actually communicated the words. It was by the inspiration, by the moving, the carrying along of the Holy Spirit. This is this is Peter conveying that if they then spoke from God, moved by the Holy Spirit, these men are worthy of being considered, worthy of being listened to, worthy of our hearing and reading. They are worthy in, in the end of your very efforts to remember what they've said. But as was made clear in verse 1 of our text, Peter would have them recall what he wrote to them in his first letter as well. And in 1 Peter, we find a number of words spoken by the holy prophets that believers would do well to remember. So allow me to demonstrate this. Beginning in 1 Peter, if you want to turn back there, chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, Peter mentions the Old Testament prophets in the context of understanding what? Get this, in the context of the coming of Christ. He's going to talk about the first coming. He'll make reference to the second coming. But we read here, as to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicated, indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Believers are to remember that the prophets labored in their searches labored in their inquiries. They were trying to figure out when Christ was going to come. Even as much then as we were to apply this to our second Peter text, do we long to look into the, the things that God has conveyed about the return, the coming, the second coming of Christ? These men wrote better than they could have understood is what the word says. They didn't even get some of the things they wrote. They wrote things down, and they were trying to figure out what does this mean about the person and the coming of Christ. Peter tells his readers that the Old Testament prophets examined their own writings, trying to see what this was all about. And what did these Old Testament prophets know? They knew things like this, beloved, that Christ would suffer. Read Isaiah 53. Read Psalm 22. They also knew that the Christ would be glorified. Read Psalm 16. Such a reflection upon the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets should cause us to remember the very life of him 
to whom the prophets speak. They speak Christ. They point to Christ. We, we read the Gospels, and what do we find? We find Jesus. What do we find about Jesus? We find that Jesus did miraculous things, but can I tell you something else we find about Jesus in the Gospels? He did not live an easy life. We read in the final week of his life, seeing how he suffered, seeing how he died, and we are to take note that his suffering and his death and his burial and his resurrection were all spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. It wasn't like, where did this come from? It wasn't like, why are these things so? In fact, later after his resurrection, Jesus would take a couple on the road to Emmaus and he would expose them all that the prophets had spoken concerning him because they didn't get it at the time. As we read of the resurrection account, as we read the book of Acts and the apostolic letters, we find that these sufferings of Christ were but a pathway to glory, not only his glory, but the glory of all who would have faith in him. We also learn then that this pathway of his glory is the pathway to ours. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20, it says that Jesus has entered heaven as a forerunner for us. Did you get that? Jesus has entered heaven as a forerunner for us, for where he has gone, we will go also. Well, how do we get there? I don't know the way. Jesus said, I'm coming back, and I will take you there. The Old Testament prophets spoke of the suffering of Christ and the glories of Christ, and we are to know that in his glory, Christ has blazed the trail for us to one day be in his glory with him if we have believed. Now you say, well, wait a minute. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 is not a quote from the Old Testament prophets. It's just a description of... Of them, So let's consider Peter's next direct quotes from the Old Testament prophets. We do this so that we might know in part the words Peter has his readers, uh, the words Peter has in mind for his readers to remember. So we look first at 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 24 and 25. And we read what ought to be familiar words to us. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. It's a quote from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. And the prophet there extols what? The enduring nature of the word of God. In other words, do not trust the words and deeds of men. Do not trust the false teachers. Rather, trust in the words and deeds of God. How appropriate to remember such a truth. Coming off the heels of Peter's teaching of false teachers, those who concocted those destructive heresies, those who maligned the truth with their sensuality and unreasoning minds, not going to the scriptures. And Peter says, remember now the words of the holy prophets who told you to trust in the word of God, not in the words of men. Next, we look at, at chapter 2, where we find 1 Peter chapter 2, where we find a gold mine, literally, of the word spoken by the holy prophets. Look with, at me with 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. We read these words, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. 
A quote of Isaiah 28, verse 16, 700 years before Christ. The passage anticipates the coming of Christ, at which time he establishes righteousness on the earth. And why would Peter want his readers to go back and remember this? Because those who are looking to Christ and his coming, it's told to us from old, you will not be disappointed. You want something you can have hope in and surety that you will give you calm and peace in the midst of the storms of this life. will look to him whom the Old Testament prophets have declared will not bring you disappointment. Looking to false teachers only leads to disappointment. In verse 7, Peter next quotes, not from Isaiah, but from Psalm 118, verse 22, where we read, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. This verse is used by Peter to recap the events of Christ's first coming. Christ would, uh, Christ was the stone which the builders rejected. There we read, the picture painted here is that many in Israel had refused to receive Jesus as their Messiah or Christ. And what did they do to him? They put him to death. The second half of the psalm tells us, Psalm verse 22 tells us, however, the glorious outcome of this rejection. That while they rejected the cornerstone, that became something of glory for those who would believe. This became the very cornerstone. What a wondrous reminder that rejecting Christ, that the rejection of Christ as Israel's Messiah was not an accident. It wasn't something that God went, what am I going to do now? These people have messed up my plan, so I'm going to go to plan B. There was not a plan B. This was always the plan. It did not surprise God. The cross didn't uh, jump out and cause God to wring his hands. The truth is, all of Christ's experiences, everything he experienced was planned out by God. In other words, they were all in accordance with what? The words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. We see another quote in, in verse 8 of 1 Peter 2. And this one's now from Isaiah 8, 14, that says a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus, who is the stone, was a stumbling block and, and an offense to many. The people he came to, Israel, hated and rejected him. This is still true. Since Christ has come the first time, people hate him, and people stumble over the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Peter's point is that believers ought not to be discouraged when we see all of this. Why? Because it's all in accordance with what? But the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. But Peter's not done. He quotes in Second or First Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. He pulls several Old Testament passages together. He quotes from Exodus and Deuteronomy and Isaiah and Malachi. He says in verse 9 that those who believe in Christ, are you ready for your identity? Everybody talks about their identity. Here's your identity if you believe in Christ. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. Now, what gets me on this is that this terminology was previously only applied to the people of Israel. But now, because of Christ's coming, this is it is applied to those who are in Christ. What is Peter's desire then from 2 
Peter chapter 3, verse 2, that we remember these things spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. But he's not done. Verse 10, quoting from now Isaiah, or excuse me, Hosea chapter 1, verse 10, he says, For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are to remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. And what are these words? Those words right there, beloved, is the gospel. This is part and parcel to the gospel. We are the ones who once walked in darkness, but by faith in Jesus Christ, we now walk in the light. We are the ones who deserved God's wrath, but by faith, we are now in Christ and have hope. To quote directly from Hosea 2.23, we read, And I will say to those who were not my people, beloved statement, is it not? You are my people. When did that take place? It took place in Christ. It takes place when you exercise what we call faith in Christ. You believe what Christ has come. And you know that what he has done. And you know what? All of this that I'm telling you are words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. For the sake of time, let us look at just one more example of how Peter quotes from the Old Testament prophets, that which would be fresh in the minds of his readers when we consider this letter. Look at me at verse with at 1 Peter chapter 20, I'll get this, 1 Peter 2 verse 22. And we read this, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He's quoting from Isaiah 53:9. It's interesting that Isaiah 53 describes what? The suffering servant. It, it, it is the suffering servant who comes to bear the sins of his people. Now let me read for you verses 23 through 25. For while he does not directly quote from Isaiah 53, it is clear that Peter has in mind the truths of Isaiah 53. And let me show you this by way of this handy chart that I've put up here. We read in verse 23, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Consider that with Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. We see it in verse 24, where we read, And he himself, Christ, bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. And we read in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, by his wounds, we are healed. And finally, in verse 25, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Isaiah 53, 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. What is the point that we should be looking at the word of God? We should be considering the truths of the word of God and remember that God has spoken these things before. Words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets so we can be certain that such passages 
would have come into the readers' minds. It is interesting to note that as Peter quotes the prophets, his primary focus on most all of them is with what? The coming of Christ. A lot of these focus on the first coming, but the coming of Christ. This is what Peter now says. I want you to remember. I want to stir up in your mind, awaken you with the truths of that which you find in the holy prophets. That the prophets prophesied that Christ would come. The prophets prophesied that we must believe on him. That we would never be disappointed by placing our faith in him. That this Christ would be rejected by men, yet would be the very cornerstone of faith, and that many will continue to stumble over and reject him, but it will be to their own doom. And that should be on the next page. It would be this Christ who transforms those who believe from being not a people into the people of God. And how is this accomplished? How is it that Christ accomplished all of this? Beloved, he is our sin bearer he is our substitute he died on the cross in our place and so we gather this morning not because any one of us is righteous in ourselves we gather because Christ is righteous and he has become our righteousness and Peter says remember these things because they're all in accordance with the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets so we are to remember what Peter has said First Peter, we are to remember what Peter was saying in Second Peter. We are to remember the words of the holy prophets, and finally, we are to remember the commandment of Jesus. Peter ends verse two with this statement: "Remember the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles." Now, it ought not to surprise us that Peter would end with a call to remember the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything points to Him. Jesus came in order to communicate to us directly who God is, what God desires, what God would do on behalf of those who believe. What is interesting, though, it makes perfect sense that that Peter would do this is consistent with everything we know about Peter. Peter wants us to grow, as he, as he says at the end of this letter, grow in the grace and knowledge of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. So it would make sense. I want you to remember the teaching. I want you to remember the commandment of the Lord and Savior. What is difficult to know is precisely what Peter's referring to when he says the commandment of the Lord and Savior. What commandment are we speaking of? We note immediately that Peter does not say to remember the commandments of the Lord, but simply the commandment. The word means it's in the singular, and it means an authoritative prescription. This is Christ's demand. So what does Peter have in mind here? Well, I pondered this for a while. And I thought of a lot of things that it could be in the context. I, I thought of a lot of things in the in life of Peter that he could be referring to. And I had to finally say, okay, I got to look at what other expositors have said. What is the command? And you know what I found? A number of possibilities. So let me offer you some of these possibilities. Peter may be referring to the commandment of the gospel itself, which is the call to repentance and faith. We'll look at that in just a moment. He may be referring to knowing that Christ is coming back. And there's reasons to think that based on the context. He may be speaking of avoiding the errors and the ways of false teachers because, well, he had just spoken about that. 
He could be referring to that which he heard from the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself, that we love one another. As John 13, 34 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As much as I'd like to tell you definitively what Peter had in mind here in the end, I don't know that we'll know for certain. We do know that Christ has called people to repentance and faith. We do know that Christ has, in his first words of his public ministry, as we find in Mark 1.15, that these words that would set the very tone of his teaching, he said what? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so I just stop there for a moment and I ask, have you repented and, and do you believe in the gospel? This is certainly a command, a commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus demands that people repent of their sin. Jesus demands that we believe in who he is and what he has accomplished. Is this the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles? Well, I would say what gives this view some strength is that the only other time that Peter actually uses this word commandment in this letter is found just a couple of verses before. Look up in 2 Peter 2, verse 21. Same word where he says that false teachers are those who do what? They turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. False teachers are those who have turned away from the gospel. They turn away from true repentance. They turn away from genuine faith in Christ. In other words, remember the gospel spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ and live by the gospel. And most certainly the apostles spent much time speaking forth the truths of the gospels, did they not? Well, it's equally true that Jesus spoke of his second coming and he gave a commandment. In light of what Peter is about to speak This could be what Peter had in mind. We know that the Lord Jesus spoke about his second coming a number of times. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, we we have what's called the Olivet Discourse. It was a, a series of teachings Jesus gave while he was on the Mount of Olives. And in Matthew 24 and 25 specifically, there are five discourses. We might say five sermons or teachings concerning the end times and the return of Christ. And let me just highlight a couple of verses from Matthew 24, verses 27 and 42. We read this. Jesus said, Just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then he does some teaching, and he ends with this commandment. Be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Is this the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles? This, that this may be what Peter had in mind certainly has credibility in what we read next. 2 Peter 3.3, 3, uh, uh, where Peter writes, Know this first of all. Well, know what, Peter? And what does he launch into? Know that Jesus is coming again, so you better be ready. Jesus is coming again. We'll delve into that next week, but suffice it to say, we must never forget this truth that Jesus is coming. It'll affect the way you live your life if you know that Jesus, the Lord, is coming. And he's coming to save those who have believed in him, and he's coming to judge those who have refused him. Well, looking at the possibility that this commandment is to avoid false teachers, we know that Jesus often spoke against and spoke 
concerning avoiding false teachers. In Matthew 7, verses 15 and 16, we read the words of Christ. And here's a commandment, is it not? Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Well, what did Peter just finish doing? He says, beware of the false teachers, and here's what they look like. And so we have credibility that this could be the commandment. It fits the context of the letter up to this point, who Peter has denunciated these false teachers. In this sense, Peter is simply following in the footsteps of Christ, who was constantly denunciating false teachers and warning people to avoid them. Well, the final possibility is found in Jesus' exhortation for his people to love. Recall what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. What is at the root of that commandment? Love. We read in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, the words of Christ. You shall, here's the commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. Now, I offer all of these possibilities to you not to confuse you, but I do give them to you to remind you. Because whatever specifically Peter has in mind, all of the things I just gave to you are true. And all of them are the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all of them continue to be the teachings of the apostles that we read in the letters to remind you then of all that Jesus has taught. Now, ultimately, I'm going to come down on the side that Peter wants us to know that Christ is returning in accordance to what the Lord and Savior has said, according to what the apostles have spoken. But there is a broad sense in which we can say that Peter is simply telling us to remember what Christ has taught us, as spoken to you or us by the apostles. And do we not find that in the Great Commission, that we're to be teaching all that Christ has commanded. What is the end of this? Beloved, we must take seriously what the apostles have taught us about Jesus. We must take seriously what the holy prophets have communicated to us concerning Jesus. Let us take seriously these words, and specifically the words of Christ. Why? Because why do we need this exhortation? Why do we need to to heed the, the Old Testament and the New Testament? Because I already told you that one of the most effective antidotes to false teaching is to recall and dwell upon the teaching of Christ and his apostles. So remember his words. Why do we need this exhortation? We need to remember Christ's commandments so that we will know how to follow and obey him. You cannot follow someone or do something that you do not know. If you do not know what is right, if you do not hear what is right, if you do not read it and study it, then you are very unlikely to keep it. And yet, Peter calls his readers, the Spirit of Christ calls us to remember the words of Christ, to take seriously the gospel accounts, to take seriously what the apostles have said to us about Jesus. Why? Because when we remember, we will follow. As we follow, we obey. As we obey, we have peace, we have hope. 
there is hope and peace and contentment. There's non-disappointment when we follow Christ. So let us remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment as given to us by Jesus Christ through his apostles. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for these reminders this morning, reminders legitimately intending to stir up our sincere minds. Lord, the things that we've considered this morning, we know so many already know. But Father, sometimes we have grown complacent. Sometimes we've grown cold. I pray, Father God, that you would stir up our minds by what we have been refreshed, uh, what has been brought to our minds today, that we would once again delight in the truths of Christ that have been foretold, that we would delight in the truths of Christ that have been communicated to us since his first coming, so that we will look forward with great anticipation and eagerness the second coming of Christ. <clears throat> May our lives reflect that truth. May we live in accordance to his precepts so that we may not shrink away in his, when he comes, but we would be found <coughs> as he intends us to be holy and blameless in his righteousness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.